You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. If you guys would pray with me, I just want to come before the Lord as we dive into His Word in, in Philippians. God, we just pray as we heard Your Word here spoken just now. As we dive into Your Word, let us be able to just unfold what You have for us. Uh, what... Paul had intended for the Philippians, you had intended for us here this morning, this day. And God, let us not take that lightly, but just dive into this word. In your name, amen. If you have your Bibles, we're in Philippians chapter 2. We've been going through this book of Philippians, and so it's been neat, these videos. We're going to hear the entire book presented in in one fell swoop. And and so today we're in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be starting in verse 12, if you're you're looking for where we're going to start. Uh, several weeks ago, I don't know how many of you got a chance to go, the, the airport had a B-17 bomber come. Did anyone get a, go on a tour of it? Raise your hand if you did. All right. My family is the only pe- people that went, but uh, it was awesome. So you guys all missed out. Um, but it was this bomber, and it was neat. Uh, they would take flights, and they would take tours of people. And we, we're, our house is in the flight path, which was kind of concerning. But um, fortunately, it's not active anymore as a bomber. And so uh, it, was, it was loud, just rumbling and slow, and it was so neat. And so as we watched it go, we thought, hey, that'd be cool. So we went, and we, we took a tour of it. And we went to the airport and stood in line. And, and I'll be honest, like, we're, I see this old plane, and I thought, okay, well, I don't know if this is worth being in line in the heat, but uh, we're already here, and I paid $10 for eight people, but that was still 10 bucks, right? And so, um, and so we stayed in line, and as we got closer, I thought to myself, hey, we're getting closer. It's still really hot. This isn't worth it, and so, and as we got really close, and I could see every rivet in the plane, and it was neat to think this was in World War II, I got to thinking, man, it's hot out here. I don't think this was worth it. But once we entered in, it was so cool. It was neat. We were able to take a tour, and the lady there was telling us stories about it. And you know, we were able to go up in it, and it was just amazing how narrow and tight it was. And we, we got going, and, and we saw in the bomb bay, there's, there's doors that open up so the bombs can fall. And any soldier, any World War II veteran that has seen this plane as it's gone on tour that served in a B-17 has signed it. And so it was amazing to see hundreds of signatures of men that had been in a B-17 bomber that had served our nation, and it was inspiring. And, and we walked, and I was going through uh, with Henry, and, and it was neat, and, and he's little, and so I'd hit my head, and, and he wouldn't, and he'd just laugh, ah, and, and I was proud because I was tall enough to hit my head. And, and so it was great for both of us, and we went on this tour, and it was so neat. And I tell you, it was the coolest experience to be in this thing and to think about about what this plane had been through, what these planes had done. And so as the lady was telling us about it, she told us about the missions. And the, the, this crew of, of nine would go on these missions, and they would go for thousands of miles, 3,000 miles round trip, would go, and they could hold 8,000 pounds of bombs. 
And so they would go 1,500 miles out to their, to their target, drop their, drop their bomb load, and then return back. And all the while, there was attacks, and there was enemy planes, and, and there was forces going against them. And she told us about how cold it was, uh, that they'd go up, and there's no insulation in there. And so the men would just sit and freeze, and they, and they had coats and blankets, but they'd go on this mission for hours uh, up in the cold, and they would freeze, and she told us about how loud it was, and I can't imagine being in that plane, because it was loud from my house when the plane goes over, but to be in that plane and then have enemy warships going by, uh, um, not warships, that'd be weird, Um, it's like from Star Wars, (laughs) if they're up there, Um, enemy planes going by and and shooting at it, and just the sound would have been deafening. There's nine machine guns in this one plane, and so if they were all going off, the, the sound would have just blown your mind. And so it was amazing to hear as she talked about it. And she said that for the crewmen, for if you were a crew of the B-17, you had to go on 30 successful missions, which meant that you went, reached your target, and returned before you could get off the B-17 rotation. 30 times, she said, if they went and they were under enemy attack and they had to turn around, that didn't count. She said if they went and they were shot and they had to return, that didn't count. They had to have 30 missions where they went and returned. And I was sitting there listening to this and just thinking about the pilot. We went up in the cockpit and to see this tiny little spot where the pilot would sit and think about the intense concentration that young man would have had to have. There's a, I was reading about it, and as we got into this, I was studying more about aviation, and there's a, a rule, it's called the 1 in 60 rule. And it's saying that if you veer off just one degree for every, for every uh, mile, you Wait, if you veer off just one degree in 60 miles, you will be off one mile. So if you had gone 60 miles and you veer off just one degree, you'd be one mile off target. So that might not sound like a lot, just one degree. If we walked one foot, I'd only be off 0.2 inches. Obviously, that's not a big deal, right? But if I was to go 100 yards of football field, I'd be off 5.2 feet. Still not that big of a deal. But after a mile, I'd be off 92 feet. After 60 miles, you'd be off one mile. And on these missions, when a B, B-17 would go 3,000 round-trip miles, when they'd go 1,500 miles, if they were off, if that pilot, in the midst of the cold, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the sound, got off just one degree, they'd miss their target by 25 miles. As I heard that, and I just heard these stories, I just couldn't imagine that intense focus to be able to reach your destination and return and to be able to rejoice. As we were going into this chapter in Philippians, uh, uh, as I was writing this, we had just experienced this tour, and it made me just make this connection of, imagine if we're off just one degree on our spiritual walk, at the end of the, way, at the, end of the road, we're going to miss our target by a lot. A lot of us start off strong, and, and we have resurgences, you know, maybe after New Year's, it's like, I'm going to read the Bible this year, and I'm going to read all the way through, and come August, you're still in, like, Deuteronomy, right? I've been there. And so you're, you're like, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it, and eventually you get off target. And you're, you're on this path, and I'm going to lead my family, and eventually distractions get in the way, work, school, kids, uh, activities, and you're off target. And as we fear off target, that's when sin and temptation creeps in. And so this is what Paul talks about in our passage today, is staying on target, staying intentionally focused on Christ. That at the end of our mission, I love what he's going to say, that we can rejoice at the end of all of it. 
If you have your Bibles, open it to Philippians chapter 2, or we'll have it up on the screen. We'll start in chapter, verse 12. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Paul begins this section by encouraging the church, hey, you guys have done well when I was there, you are on target, and even after I've left, I've heard reports, as we, we saw, one of the guys has come and he's told him about it, and he said, I've heard great reports, you guys are still on target, but I want to encourage you, continue on in that path. Continue on working out your faith in fear and trembling. As we talked several weeks ago, the church word for that is sanctification, it means striving to be Christ-like. That salvation doesn't just end when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That we want to continue on in that path to be more and more like Christ. To continue on not to drift off target, but to stay focused on what we're, what we're shooting for. And I love that he says that you're not alone. Because being Christ-like is not easy. I don't know about you, but temptation creeps in and man, I want to give in. And so to, to resist those temptations, to resist going off target, even just one degree, I'm thankful it says that we have a God who's working his will in us. Imagine that. That this idea of sanctification isn't a burden that we have on our own. This is something, this is part of why the Holy Spirit comes upon us when we accept Jesus Christ. When we're baptized and the Holy Spirit's with us, it's so that he can continue to bring us back on target, that when we veer off, if we listen to the Holy Spirit, we're brought back in the right direction. God is intentionally working around us, through us, in us. That's what this passage is saying. Paul's encouraging them, hey, you guys have done well. When I was there, you've done well since, and keep on the good work because Christ is doing that in you. This isn't on your own ability. This is you and the Holy Spirit together able to achieve this. We got a new thermostat in our house. Uh, we actually have two heat pumps, and we got a thermostat, uh, and we got one of those fancy ones that you can program, and so we were uh, super excited. And so Isaiah, my 10-year-old, and I decided we could install it one day. And I'm not the handiest guy, so after uh, about a half an hour to figure out just which electric panel went to the thermostat, took a long time. Um, we were able to turn off the power and we got to work. And so we got the instructions and we started going through one by one with the instructions. And eventually, I don't know what happened, but I got overconfident and we just put the instructions aside and I was like, we got this. And so we installed it and we went through all the programming features and that took forever and we finally got done and we went to Sarah and both of us were so proud and our chest puffed up and we're like, we did it. She's like, that's great. And so she went and it was a warm day and she wanted to make sure that it was working because she knows my handy ship. And so she went and turned down the temperature so it would get colder. And we're like, okay, this is going to be great. And so we go about our other chores that day. It was a Saturday. We're doing chores. It feels like it's getting warm. And I thought, well, it's probably just because I'm, you know, vacuuming now and doing stuff. And, and she says, I think it's getting warmer in the house. I said, no, it's not. We, we just fixed the silly thing, trust me. And so I go over, and it doesn't look like it's getting colder, but I assume it must just be not picked up on it yet. So I make it even colder, right? So I, I lower the temperature even more just to really boost it to show her we did it well. 
Well, about 10 minutes later, she comes sweating, and she's like, it's not working. And I said, yeah, it is. And I go over, and I take her to the register, and hot air is just bellowing out uh, of the air. And it turns out that uh, somewhere along the lines, when I stopped looking at the instructions, I switched the heat and the cool function. And so the cooler we made it, the hotter the house was getting. And so I anticipated that I wouldn't know how to fix this, and I thought, all right, well, we'll just always put a hotter whenever we want a colder, and, and it'll be something we just learn. It'll be a cute little thing. Um, and she wasn't all for that plan, and so we got out the instructions, and I read through and figured out what I did wrong. And so we got it to work. Well, we, the second uh, thermostat came the next week, and Isaiah wanted to install the one upstairs. And so this time I told him, hey, remember what happened last time? Read the instructions. And so he read the instructions all the way through. And I'm proud to say my 10-year-old did it successfully the first time, much better than I did. But it was neat to see that he learned from my mistake, we have the instructions for a reason. And he was able to change an entire thermostat in a house by himself at 10 because he was able to learn from my mistake and follow the instructions. It's the same thing that we have the Holy Spirit there to help us. We have the Bible as our guide. That when we get off target, that we can pull back. That when, the, when our thermostat is off and it's reversed and we're doing things that we shouldn't be doing and we're leading a life that's just flipped upside down, there's still a chance to come back. That all we got to do is dive back into those instructions. Come back to the Holy Spirit, dive into his Holy Word, and we can see that things would be corrected. And we can follow Christ with our life. Paul continues on. Uh, he continues on in uh, verse 14. It says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among the stars in the sky as you hold firm to the word of life. It's not easy for us to do, right? I don't know about you, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you grumbled or complained this week? I'll raise my hand for you. I have. I don't know about you, but, but it's easy that when things don't go my way, when I'm frustrated at home, I'm frustrated with traffic, frustrated with, with something, and I'll just, oh, I want to complain, I want to grumble. I assume I'm probably not alone. That this is something we all want to do, but Paul calls the Philippians, he calls us, do everything without grumbling or arguing. So that we would be an example, an example of Christ. I've come back to that time and again throughout the scripture. We see that we're called to be an example, to stand different than our community, to stand different than our society, to, to be an example for God. Grumbling, complaining, that's what the world's doing. What if we didn't do that? We're going to see Paul here even flips that and adds, instead of grumbling and complaining, to rejoice. Can you imagine? I love how Paul says we would stand out like the stars in the sky. When I see this verse, I think of one person in particular, Tim DeVault. If you guys don't know Tim, uh, he goes to church here. He's actually seated over there in a striped shirt, but I won't point him out because that'll make him feel awkward. And so Tim is an amazing guy. Uh, he is encouraging. He's uplifting. Uh, he's uh, on our operations team. He's one of the most godly men I know. He's one of the guys leading that Bible study on Thursday night. And Tim DeVault has a way of just being a presence, of shining like the stars, of pointing people to Jesus in everything he does. If you meet him, you ask him how you're doing, 
He always says something fun. He'll say, I'm better than I deserve to be. Or uh, I even wrote these down. Or the other one, I love this. If I was any better, vitamins would be taking me. All right? I love that. But one of the things, like, that's just in his meeting. You might think that's just him for show on a Sunday morning. But here's his emails, all right? He leads our missions team that I'm on and the operations team he's, he's led in the past that I was on. And so I scrolled through some of my past emails. Here's the introduction to an email he said uh, from an operations team meeting. Just a recap of just the introduction. He says, well, let's just say that Satan and his little demons ran from the Discovery property naked and bleeding. Can't say that we had much to do with it other than calling on Jesus' name. The Holy Spirits and angels took care of it from there. That was just the introduction. Don't you just want to, like, sit and talk to this guy all the time, right? This was on the missions team meeting. He said, ha, ha, ha. Or this is a missions team meeting coming up. This is just to let us know that we have a meeting later that week. Ha, ha, ha. Devil's like an old toddler pitching a fit, whining and crying, laying on the floor, screaming and kicking. Well, he deserves a nice paddling from some time out. That's exactly what he's going to get this Sunday at 4 p.m. Missions team back in action, baby. I love getting emails from him. When I see his name come up, it excites me. This is that example we should be. Imagine if people in your neighborhood at your work were excited when they talked to you because they just saw joy radiating from you. I'm sure Tim has had times when he wanted to complain and grumble, and I'm sure he does at times. He's not perfect. But I also know that when I think of a person that shines like the stars, I think of Tim DeVault. Wouldn't it be great if people, when you were asked, when people were asked, who shines like a star for Christ? They thought of you. They thought of your name. That they said, I know who does it at my work, and you were the one that popped up. I know who does it in my house. You were the one that popped up. I love how Paul uses the illustration of shining like stars. I was looking, there's 400 billion stars in the sky. 100 to 400 billion is the estimate, which seems like a pretty big gap, but that's the estimate, right? 100 to 400 billion. But our eye can only see about 8,000. And then that's divided in half by what hemisphere you're in, and that's only 4,000. And then it said on a normal night with, with city lights and partial cloud covering, you can only see a few hundred stars any given night. And yet when I go out, with my kids, and we look at the stars, they say the sky is full of stars. And that's just a few hundred. Imagine if a few hundred people from Discovery Church shine like stars in the city of Bristol. Imagine what that would be. If people would say, tell me someone that looks like Jesus, and they could list a few hundred people. Imagine what the city of Bristol would look like, like that dark sky lit up with stars, a town lit up with Christ all throughout. If you and I were shining like stars, as Paul says. We jump back in, verse 16, the continuation of verse 16, it says, And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run and labor in vain. But even if I am poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so that you too should be glad and rejoice with me. It's poured out like a drink offering. There's a tradition that in those ancient cultures that you would have a sacrifice and pour out wine on the altar, and it was a drink offering, that you would pour out the goods and that it would be extinguished. 
that it would be poured out completely. That Paul's saying, if I've given all of myself, I have nothing left. And in fact, he's held in captivity right now. If you haven't been with us the past several weeks, he's writing this letter to the Philippians, to the church of Philippi, from captivity. He has a guard chained to him 24-7. He's poured out everything he has. And in that, he can say, I can rejoice. I can boast in what God has done. Wouldn't that be amazing if we could rejoice instead of grumbling? And complaining. I love he says that the Philippians have poured themselves out in service. This is probably the greatest thing I love about this church family. That as a church family, we are a church of very much oriented to service. That I was writing a letter, uh, a thing to someone this week, an email, and said Discovery is a community that serves. And it's just beautiful to see, like, if you're new to Discovery, we even have something called Sent to Serve. Whenever there's five Sundays in the month, we go out, instead of having service on Sunday morning, we go out to six or ten locations around town and just serve. Help the needy, help the homeless, help the elderly, help the veterans, help the children. I love this idea of serving, that if you walk down that hall, the classrooms are being led by volunteers just eager to serve in Christ's name. That this is what Paul is saying, that he can rejoice. Because in the midst of hard times, in the midst of times you want to grumble and complain, you serve. Because you have Jesus Christ. He's saying that he can boast at the end of the race, that he could boast in what Jesus has done. There's a picture in our conference room here at the office. Several years ago, we went through a hard time here at Discovery, and, and at that time where it seemed like things were just falling apart and we didn't know if we were going to make it, Sarah and I printed this picture. I, I gave her this verse, and she made, it into, she, she made it into a little picture, and we framed it and put it up on the uh, conference room. And it was a time that I didn't know if we were going to even make it through as a church, but I had confidence in the one that could, that if we were to make it through, we would make it through because of God. And I wanted to make sure that when we made it, and when we made it through, that we would not be able to turn and say the elders are the one that led us through this. That we wouldn't be able to turn and say the operations team was the one. We wouldn't be able to turn and say it was the staff. We wouldn't be able to turn and say that it was anything of, of discovery. It wasn't anything of man, but it was of God. And so we have this, this passage in our conference room that I look at every day to make sure that our focus is in the right place. And it's Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. It says, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Paul, is, Paul has plenty that he could boast on, and he wants to boast in the Lord. This is his top priority. And so as we face our struggles, which are many, I'm not downplaying what you might be going through right now. Maybe a diagnosis that's hurting. Maybe a, a relationship that's falling apart or lack thereof in the first place. Maybe an unemployment or a struggle at home or struggle at work. All of those are very real. But what if instead of looking at the short term, these problems... We were able to look at this long term that Paul's looking at is that he's boasting in the Lord. 
boasting in what God has given us in salvation, in freedom from our sins, in conquering of Satan. That we could boast in Jesus Christ who came and died and rose again for you and me. Wouldn't that be amazing to boast in that? And so to go from grumbling and complaining to rejoicing. I want to ask you and me, where is the place that that maybe you grumble and complain the most? Maybe it's when you get home, you're grumbling about work, or maybe you're at work grumbling about work. Maybe it's a grumbling at home about home, or, or you complain about school, or you're complaining about the neighbors, or about society or social media. Where is it that you're grumbling? And imagine if this week we switched that and rejoiced. What if we could find rejoicing things to say? What if we could find pleasing things to say instead of the grumbling? I think we would shine like stars. It says that the people, it's in a wicked and crooked world, Paul says. We would shine like the stars in a dark sky. That B-17, it was, it was awesome. And so we came home and we were watching YouTube videos about the B-17 and we came upon one story. And it was a story about one specific plane. It was irreverently named the Opisanya. All right, and, and uh, it's, here's a picture of the plane, and it was this plane that they named it that because they were headed to drop some bombs, right? And so this, this plane had done many missions, and this one mission they went out. It was in June 23rd, 1944. They were flying over Romania, and, and the, the, uh, an enemy aircraft had come and shot out one of its engines. And it slowed it down, and it made it have to lower its elevation and slow down. It didn't, wasn't able to stay in formation, and they were taking on smoke, and so enemy planes could come and, and pick at it easier. The pilot was able to stay unfocused. And the pilot was able to get to their location in Romania, and... <coughs> Excuse me. And the, the lieutenant in charge, second lieutenant David Kinsley, was in charge of the bombs. And he opened the bomb bay and he dropped, and they were able to land on, on target. And so as they were returning home, the enemy warplanes had got closer. And like I said, now this one is isolated by himself, and the enemy warplanes were able to shoot. And they were able to shoot through the, the gunner, the gunner uh, bubble underneath, and they were able to shoot two of the gunners. The pilot radioed to, to David Kinsley and said, hey, can you go help administer first aid? We're trying to get back. And so he goes back, and he's in this narrow little plane, and he's giving, he's giving first aid, taking off their, their parachute packs and, and their clothes to be able to administer first aid to cut off the bleeding. And he saves the life of these two gunners. Well, more enemy planes, three more Nazi planes come, and they shoot out the other engines. And now they're just gliding, and the pilot declares that everyone has to bail. And so in the chaos of what Kinsley did in the back of trying to give him first aid, there was blankets, and there was clothes, and there was parachutes, and it all got mixed together. And so he goes to put the parachutes back on the gunners, and he puts it on one and gets him set up, and he goes to put the second parachute on the second gunner, and that parachute can't be found. Frantically, he's going through blankets. Frantically, he's going through the clothes, and they can't find his parachute. And so he clips and undoes the clip on his own. And he undoes the second clip, and he takes it off, and he puts it on this gunner. And he takes both gunners, and he drags them over to the bomb bay. And while the pilot and the co-pilot and the other crew members jump for their safety, he pushes the gunners out. And one of the gunners says, the last time anyone saw David Kinsley alive 
was standing on the Bombay, saluting the men as they went down. The plane eventually crashed, and they found his body there. And those men say, rightfully so, that they are alive today because David Kinsley was willing to give his life. It's an inspiring story. And as we watch that story with the kids, we were able to bring it back full circle to what Jesus has done for us. He died for us. He was able to give us his parachute. He was able to take on our sins, all of our, our filth, all of our mess, and he died on the cross. And the greatest part is three days later, he rose victoriously from the grave. So this morning as we go and partake in communion around the room, as, as you partake in communion at home, I want to encourage you to just take some time and just thank him for this sacrifice. It's so easy for us to get caught up in just the task, the, the, the habit of taking communion, and miss the amazing sacrifice that Jesus did, that he left heaven and came down and conquered death for us. And in light of that sacrifice, I pray that this week we can be inspired to cut back on the grumbling, cut back on the complaining, and to rejoice so that those around us, that the city of Bristol would see us shining like stars. If you'll pray with me. Lord, we just lift up this time of communion and, and I just pray that you are glorified in our actions this week. God, I pray that you can be the one that works within us as that passage in Philippians 2 says that you're working your will in us to be able to be Christ-like, to be able to be sanctified. God, please work inside me, work inside each person here because we need your help to let go of the grumbling when we're frustrated, to let go of the complaining when people wrong us and to find a way to rejoice. God, I pray that we would be like stars in the sky, that the city of Bristol, that in the darkest places, would find a light, a star shining for you. God, I lift this up in your name.